Hey, I'm Tiffany Weiss, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is Doug Johnson. Doug was born in Swainsboro, Georgia. He began his career in the 1970s as an engineer and mixer. He has now produced and written many songs you know today. He has had a 30-year songwriting career with over 100 cuts, including numerous number ones and many top 10 charting songs. Doug has had his songs recorded by artists such as Randy Travis, Lee Bryce, Rascal Flatts, George Strait, and Kenny Rogers, just to name a few. Meeting Doug was really fun. We actually went to Black River where he works now, which is a record label in town in Nashville where Kelsey Ballerini is signed. And he works in the A&R department. So we went to Black River, which I'm very familiar with. I do a lot of my recording as an artist in the studios there. It was interesting talking to Doug because he, I think, is the first guest, other than Chris Dubois, who wears many hats in this town. Not only has he been a mixer and engineer, he's been a successful producer, a very successful songwriter, obviously, leading at labels, now A&R at labels. He's kind of done everything. So he's very well versed and knows the business, its ins and outs, its good and its bad. So I loved getting his take on each portion of it because he sees it through the lenses so differently than, say, just somebody who considers himself a songwriter. He sees the business side, which is very important to acknowledge. And I don't always agree with all of it. There's a lot of it that I do not agree with. But it is interesting to hear someone's take where this is their job. I mean, the business side is his job. He's had obviously plenty of success in the songwriting world. And that is first and foremost why I wanted to sit down with him. But because the songwriting community is being so affected right now by the business sides of things in Nashville, it's wonderful to sit down with somebody who kind of understands it all and gets their take and their perspective of it. Hi, Doug Johnson. Hello. Thank you so much for being on What's Mine is Yours. You bet. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And we are here at Black River. And thank you for having us. Absolutely. You have done a lot in Nashville. You've worn many hats. You're a songwriter. You're a producer. Ran labels. You've been a part of A&R. Which of these would you say you have enjoyed the most? Without a doubt, songwriting is... None of the other jobs exist without songwriting. I like that you said that just because this is the show that you're on. Well, if you would have said something else, Robert it would have been real that. weird. This is good. Okay. No, that's true. There's nothing more exciting than seeing young talent find themselves and find their voice, not just their singing voice, but what it is, why and who and what they have to say and sing about. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more exciting than that. But 
so many people work so hard and without a great song, it just really does not matter. Surely doesn't. No. You are the vice president of A&R at Black River Entertainment. Can you describe what A&R is? Everything music. It's looking for artists, helping that artist with their music, whether it's what producer they work with, what band they work with, what songs they record. Sometimes it's as simple as staying out of their way and just saying, oh, my God, you are rocking. Keep doing what you're doing. So it's everything music. And there's a lot involved of deadlines, budgets. There's a lot of the non-creative stuff that is not as fun. But but it's a creative part. And I always looked at that as, hey, if you love your baby, you got to deal with dirty diapers, too. It's just all part of it. And with all the hats that you've worn in Nashville, Mm -hmm. Which one has been the most challenging? Label. Label. Label? Always. Yeah. Yeah. The business has changed. It's always changing. Do you like that? Do you like the change? I don't know. It is. It just is. So you find something good about it and you change with it and you adapt or and you try to keep things the same that need to be the same that you believe. I've talked to quite a bit of people now and most of them I don't think have had the experience you've had in all different facets of the music industry. So when I hear your answer, when you say like, hey, you just got to roll with it, it changes. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of people I've sat down with who just simply are songwriters and they don't love it, right? They have a lot to say about it. So it's just interesting to see that because you have a huge part of you that is the business side of it as well, you kind of have no option but to just adapt. We didn't know how good we had it in the 90s. It was hard then, we thought. Yeah. That's when CDs were selling like crazy. But it just, I still love it. It's music. It's magic. It's music. You know, we we can change somebody's life, if not mm-hmm. a lot of people's lives, with a song, with a record. Mm-hmm. Artists get to go and possibly go into an auditorium and fill it up with people who love their music and want to be there, want to buy a T-shirt and want to get a picture with them. And so it's magic. So we still get to do that. Is, is it hard? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I would think being a plumber is pretty damn hard, too. I agree. It's magic. That's why I've wanted to be in the music business. I find it to be magic. But I actually was just talking with somebody the other day about what you just said. It changes lives. Do you, and I'm veering off right now of where I was going to go, but in the music industry right now, are we doing our job correctly at creating the music right now that's changing lives? You've got to create your music, whatever's true to you. If God gave you a talent to create music, I'm a believer that he gave you the mechanism by which to know that you're using that talent right. It's on the back of your neck. So serve that. I don't think I'm going to sit down and think I need to write a song that's going to change your life. But it's possible. You know, I've got a lot of kids. We're blessed. Hard times like everybody. Just write truth. And I've been lucky enough to be part of songs. Joe Henry and I wrote Skin. Sarah Beth, which Rascal Flatts cut, that little girl with cancer. Well, Rascal Flatts and the label gave over $3 million to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital because of the reaction to that song. And it brings me to tears to think that God allowed me to be part of Mm -hmm. some song that was written from a place of empathy and truth. And basically that song, years ago, I'd read an article in Reader's Digest, I think, about 12 or 13-year-old little little girls, cheerleaders, and one of the girls had cancer, had chemo, lost her hair, and they all showed up with their heads shaved. Wow. And that probably was 
eight years before the song. It had stuck, moved me. And so I think that's where that came from, just remembering that. When I write, I show up and I say, okay, God, you know my heart. You know what I hope can happen. Help me keep my brain out of the way and then just use me. And then you just see what, you know, and you see what you get. I've got a lot of songs that I would not dare blame on God, but it's somebody's fault. (laughs) They're all not going to be smashes, (laughs) right? So I know that you've been quoted in an article of saying to get in the room and try and write for the radio is like the kiss of death. Yeah, I think that for me it is. I just think in general, in any music, in Nashville, in songwriting, for whatever reason, we tend to want to try to play the middle when we think radio. Mm-hmm. And playing it safe is probably the most dangerous place there is in this business. And so I'm just I'm not good at that. Now, there are some other people who continuously write songs that work for radio. They do it and they make it look so easy. And I just... I'm not the hair on the back of my neck is not moved when I try to do that. And how could I expect it to affect anybody else? You know, music is healing, right? That's right. Trying to change a life, whether that's make them happy, make them feel nostalgic, heal a broken heart, whatever the case may be. Going in there with just the intention of I got to write a hit. I got to write for the radio. I don't know if that's necessarily doing our jobs, but that's just an opinion, right? If I could do that, if I could walk in and say, I need to write a hit today and actually do it, I'd be doing it. Trust me. (laughs) I would make peace with that. Trust me. I'd give a lot of money away, but I would do it every day. (laughs) No, I get it because I I sat down with the Warren brothers and I was pretty open with them about the idea of, you know, they're very open about their sobriety. and. But then I threw it back at him and I said, how come most of the songs that you've written that have been huge successes for you have been about alcohol? It's their brain damage. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they would drop to lot as children. And then I think it was Brett that actually said he has guilt about it. And then Brad goes, I don't. No. And it was just funny to, because I was like, well, how funny that you guys are so open about sobriety. And yet that's kind of the checks that. You cash right. is, is on alcohol, which I actually love that Luke Combs came out with a song that talks about that kind of stuff. And I, I hadn't heard anybody talk about that yet. So I was like, oh, that's refreshing because, yeah, what's the song on the radio that for the guy that doesn't drink or the guy that doesn't party? Like the song that could change somebody's life in that direction who needed to hear it. See, to me, I think you show up and whatever's there to write. Oh, yeah. It feels authentic and it feels real and it moves you write it. And if not, keep looking for something to write. And I try not to think when starting a song. The brain is a great computer. It doesn't create magic. It's wonderful to remember something you might have heard that might fit in a song. It might be a great song idea. It's wonderful to rewrite. It's wonderful to try to make a song tighter, make it more colorful. But as far as just something coming out, I feel like great songs come from wherever the wind comes from. And so I just try to hold my hands out and say, okay, here I am. It's great imagery. You are a songwriter. So let's talk about a lot of the songs that you've written. You have seven number ones. Mm -hmm. I I actually couldn't find all of them. Do you mind listing them for me? If you can remember. I think my first one was Living in a Moment. Okay. Which I wrote for my wife. And I wrote with Pat Bunch, 83-year-old, that just passed away two weeks ago, who was church for me. And we were probably sitting around trying to write a radio song. And one of us said, living in a moment you would die for. And we both went, let's go there. I like that. 
a song called I Don't Think I Will, another song written for her, which I wrote by myself, and it was just the truth. I see She Won't Be Lonely Long, which Clay Walker cut, Skin, Sarah Beth, Three Wooden Crosses, Love Like Crazy. Not sure how many that is. Anyway, yeah, I think it's seven. And then I probably had another 10. Top top 10s. Yeah, in there. You mentioned Three Wooden Crosses. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've gotten asked this a ton, but can you tell the story of the day you wrote it? It was night. I I got home. I picked up my guitar. Lisa, my wife, was sitting up in the corner. I said, hey, come check out the. I was just doodling. Matter of fact, the best thing I could do as a writer for me is 10 or 15 times a day pick up a guitar or sit at the piano for three or four minutes and just play around and just see, I call them seeds and just see if you happen on something that you go, wow, that feels good. And you just follow it. And then if it feels really good, you start worrying that nothing else will be that good about it. And I did. And I said, Hey, come check out these people on this bus. And I thank God that teacher and preacher rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. And so I was riding with Kim Williams the following day. Kim was burned over 70% of his body. Kim had tons of hits, six or seven hits with Garth Brooks. And he was just, he was my hero and my best friend. He would say things like, hey, Doug, pain's a given, suffering is optional. So he had a lot of wisdom, too. He never complained about anything unless it was UT football or politics, and then he was a bitch. (laughs) So the next day we were writing, and so I take this verse in, and I had the verse and the first line, three wooden crosses. And I played it for him, and he said, I hate you. And I went, what? He said, you're playing me something I love, and you've already written. I said, no, that's all I have. So he said, stop, stop. He said, record it. I want to go home. I don't even want to write today. I want to live with this. But he was one of these that had books of hooks. And so as we're sitting there, he says, I've got this idea. It's not what you take, but what you leave behind. And so we felt like, wow, that feels right. Literally, that song was probably finished in about 45 minutes to an hour. We both cried when the bridge appeared. Mm-hmm. I left thinking, wow, we wrote a perfect country song. He called me the next morning and said, what about the bus driver? <laughs> I went, farmer, teacher, hooker, preacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and how did it find its home? It was one of the songs that a lot of people had it on hold. Mm. Michael Peterson, who was an artist on Sony at the time, heard the song Went into his producer, said, I really want to cut this song. And they said, no, you're finished with your album. So he played it for his producer, who was also producing Randy Travis. Mm. And and Kyle Lenning played it for Randy. And Randy said he was working out, listening. And when it said Hooker, he reached over, backed it up, and listened again. And it's just been a blessing. It really has. That song's been a blessing. So talking about Kelsey Ballerini, because he has been able to watch her career from the start. He was at Black River when she was signed first as a writer for a publishing deal and then moved on to being a signed act under the label. I had a feeling about Kelsey before Kelsey, I think, had even released Love Me Like You Mean It to radio. I saw her EP come up on iTunes, and I remember thinking, this girl is the next thing. And I was in a band at the time in California, and I remember my band members being like, are you sure? I'm not really sure about that. And I said, no, 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 mark my words, this girl's it. So it's been really fun for me to actually, as a fan, to sit back and watch her career blossom. And then now to sit in a room with somebody who's directly part responsible for her success 
obviously her talent is what is responsible for her success, but we all know we need a team around us and he's a major part of her team. So it was wonderful to actually sit down and talk to him about her as an artist. And I love hearing the glowing remarks he made about her. You can tell how proud he is of her. And that made me so happy because sometimes I sit back and I get upset for Kelsey thinking that she should have been recognized more so over her career so far. And I guess there's going to be a timing for everything. And I think we both agree that after her most recent project she just put out, rolling out the welcome mat, I think we now all agree that I think she's going to be recognized all the ways that I think she always should have been recognized. I did ask Doug a question about Kelsey. And if Kelsey were to be a brand new artist today with Love Me Like You Mean It, would she have made it? And I think we kind of skated around the answer a bit. My answer is no, and not because Love Me Like You Mean It isn't a good song and she's not a phenomenal artist. Obviously, times have changed and what people are wanting out of music has changed. But I have found commercial isn't as welcomed right now in the music business, it feels. So Love Me Like You Mean It, I'm a huge fan. I love commercialized music. That's just my taste in music. But there are a lot of people right now who aren't wanting that. And Love Me Like You Mean It is so commercial and so ready for radio. And that's why it was her first number one. And it was her first single out to radio and it did so well. But it worries me for a lot of people that have a similar taste or want in music that things like that are not what's happening today. But again, it's a pendulum. I believe the music industry just will swing back and forth and you just ebb and flow with it. And that's how I think it is for finding talent as well. And I'm sure Doug understands that being in the A&R department of what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. And that must just always evolve throughout the years. We have been talking about Kelsey. She just released the EP and the short film. It's a beautiful piece. It's drawing people back to YouTube. And it's getting her listeners to actually listen to the whole project from start to finish. Number one, it's as honest a project as anybody could record about what she really has gone through in her life. And I'm not aware of anything, certainly in our format, that is more artistic than this is. No, no, no. Not at all. It's great. And I am very proud of us as a record company to have said, you've got this new album out. We're so excited about it, but absolutely go do this EP. This is part of who you are. Mm -hmm. It's part of who you are as a person, who you are as an artist. It's not about going and trying to necessarily get it played on radio. It's about you just sharing. Instead of talking about it, singing about it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's stunning. It really is. And it's her. It is truly how amazing this young lady is. I love visuals. Robert here does all of my music videos. So when it comes to the visual part of it, I love that it is drawing people back to a longer format mm -hmm. of actually making you watch and listen to the whole thing at once. I think it's really... Well, it's compelling to because of the way she did it. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful piece and it does. You don't want to cheat yourself from not seeing it like that and experiencing it as a whole. Do you think more people are going to start doing a similar thing with their EPs. 
if it continues to be as successful as it looks like it's going to be, when people have success, other people try to say, hey, that works. Maybe I can try that. So to some extent, that's human nature. The short film I'm noticing is like I see an artist in town, Stephanie Quayle, is about to release one. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift did her short film. Kelsey's done this short film. And then we have Stephanie Quayle. Now it's an expensive way to market something, but it's going to be a great tool for a visual. If it's great and if it's authentic and if it's real. All I can say about Kelsey is it is real. real. It's authentic. It is from her heart. It is her. And so if somebody else does it, to try to say, well, that works, so I'm going to do this to work. That's like trying to write a song for radio because that song over there worked at radio. There again, it's just going to really be about how great it is, how real it is, how drawn into it Mm -hmm. you are as a listener and somebody watching the video and experiencing that. If somebody creates that experience that's nearly as good as Kelsey's is, then yeah, it should work. Yeah. Absolutely. When did you find Kelsey? Kelsey found us. There was a guy here who was working in management and heard Kelsey at a pizza place and brought her in. And I think she was 16, maybe. And she came in and played a song she'd written by herself. And she was incredible. And Gordon Kerr, the CEO of the company, heard her. And so you frolic had a publishing heard her. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness. So. One thing we did right, we signed her as a writer probably a year and a half, two years before as an artist, and she was great from day one, and we could have probably gone out and found songs. But she would not have this EP and be this songwriter and this artistic person she is had she not written her way into Mm -hmm. that. And so that was part of her journey of just, finding herself and watching her find herself and build her faith in what it was she she'd have to tell you but what she felt and how she put it out she makes it look so easy and always so honest how would you describe her songwriting style just honest Honest. like she opens up her heart and shares what she feels and she happens to be a person who i think feels and sees the world in a place that so many people can relate to i've always been a really big fan of Kelsey. So I remember finding her, I think, before anybody knew who she was because I was that girl that was a geek that tried to find new artists all the time. Uh-huh. And I remember what was the debut, like almost like 10 years ago at this point? Yeah. The reason why I think I loved her so much is because I am someone who loves commercial. I'm really big about commercial. And I know a lot of people in Nashville sometimes don't like commercial, which it's like, aren't we all trying to be commercial in a sense? I think commercial just means a lot of people like it. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, totally. I've always been drawn to that, I guess. And I thought her stuff was absolutely magic from the get go with what people are looking for now today in 2023, because I have seen a shift in music and I get this feeling sometimes that people are almost against the commercialization of things, which I don't get why, because that's what we're here for. We're living in this Yellowstone culture, Uh, which I love. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. People don't want polished. They seem to not want polished, prefabricated. Well, that's great. Yeah. But do you think in today, 2023, Kelsey Ballerini walks in, let me like you mean it. Would it work today? I think so. You think so? Yeah. I will always love it. I feel like what people are doing now. But would she walk in with that if she were this age? Mm, sure. If she were 16 now, 
that might not be what her truth would be based on what she over the last three or four years had been absorbing and listening to and loving musically. So there's no way to really, I get it. really answer that. I think she's great enough that she would be current to whatever time she walked in. She is that magnet, I think, as a person who absorbs just wherever her beautiful ideas come from. So, yeah, I think she would it be that song. I don't know. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine Is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours, 